0: Ireland's Greatest Hero
1: on News Talk. Good afternoon, Simon Tierney with you for the next hour. Welcome to Ireland's Greatest Heroes, a special bank holiday programme here on News Talk, where we will be looking at some of the people who have made an extraordinary contribution to Irish life over the past hundred years. Now, Over the past week, we've been inviting listeners to vote on who they believe to be Ireland's greatest hero from, specifically, 1922 to 2022. And the reason we're doing this, essentially, is to mark the centenary of the free state. So, the votes are in, the results have been tallied, and now I'm joined by my panel of guests to digest The outcome. So, sitting in studio with me today are journalist Michael O'Regan, writer and broadcaster Barbara Scully, and Elaine O'Loughlin, Irish Examiner, Deputy Political Editor. You're all very welcome to the programme. Hi, Simon. Great to have you with us this afternoon. The results have been tallied, and our listeners decided that the greatest hero in Ireland, at least at number five, was Gay (laughs) Byrne. Now, um, I'm going to come, come to you in a second, Barbara, but I want to start with you, Elaine, because I'm interested to ask you, obviously, Gay Byrne passed away in 2019, but I'm curious to know, younger people in Ireland, how do people, say, under the age of 30, view an iconic broadcasting figure like Gay Byrne, someone who had such a crucial role in in how entertainment and television and radio changed in this country.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I suppose it, it depends how far under the age of 30 you go. Perhaps if you're in your 30s, you certainly remember Gabo And he is referred to as Gabo. I think that's uh, the type of man he was and how familiar he was to people in their own home. Because he came into everybody's home on a Friday night and then was on radio. And this wasn't in Netflix era. This was at a time when you watched The Late Late Show, whether you liked it or not as a young one, it was on and sometimes you might be told to go to bed because it was something slightly controversial <laughs> it was going a shared
1: on. viewing experience exactly. the whole nation was watching together
2: yeah I think he,
1: that's a re- that is a really important point yeah, yeah
2: and he wasn't afraid to you know go into the controversial topics and this was in an era as well. Where the Catholic Church still had a grip over people's lives, essentially how they operated, what their thoughts were, um, you know, you'd as I said, you'd you'd watch the Late Late on a Friday and you'd go to Mass on a Sunday, um, a lot of the time, and that was the kind of the weekend or people's weekends uh, around the country, and also you have to remember, even if people are too young now to remember Gable, they will remember. One for everybody in the audience. He had that catchphrase. <laughs> and again, it was that kind of lovable character that he was. The other one, was,
1: of course, was Rollit Roll it there, there Rochin. Yeah. Well, Rolot there, yeah. there, there Colette. Rolot there Colette. It was before Rochin. Yeah. Ah, okay. Colette was the original. Uh, before I come to you, Barbara, let's remind us, let's remind ourselves and our listeners of that iconic voice, which was soundtrack to so many of our lives
3: I was also told that you don't sing at all none of you oh, no. oh, I she, and knowing that
2: seen. you don't play you don't sing and you can't write music I thought you'd go very far but now you've wrecked
0: the whole thing you see I would not encourage my children to use condoms and what are your children one's 27 one's twi- one's down at the 20 ball but you have to leave he's down at the 20 ball 27?
1: Gay Byrne there in his heyday Barbara what yeah. were you going to say about Gay Byrne?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, you know, um, like Elaine said, I mean, Gay Byrne was it was this kind of figure that we all felt we knew very well because he was, you know, in our homes once a week, and it was that shared viewing experience and all of that. And he was a master broadcaster, and I don't think anybody, certainly on te- in television terms, um, has come close to his ability to get a, to to manage a conversation. And remember, back in the early, not back in the, you know, I mean, I was born, I think, ran the same time as the late late show, but you know, there weren't big stars coming to to Ireland. So a lot of the people that he had to interview were, you know, people, ordinary people or journalists or commentators of that. And, And the conversations, the panel conversations were very often really, really good. And I think we miss that in Ireland. I think it's one of the reasons why book festivals are so popular here because that's the only forum in which you can go back to kind of longer philosophical kind of conversations like the type he had. So I'd absolutely... Uh, I would absolutely give him full marks. He's he was um he he was a performer himself though as well, but he could also listen, um and he knew what he was doing with those kind of catchphrases and, and he used to do voices as well very often and all of that kind he of did, stuff. Yeah. So he was a performer, um, but I think sometimes Gay Byrne gets. I'm waiting credited. for a bus Yeah, you're waiting the for department. the bus. Yeah, here we go. Um, first bus. I think Gay Byrne very often gets credited with bringing change to Ireland, and I think without being cynical he was lucky in that he just he was cresting a wave of change that was starting to happen anyway. Now certainly he was at the vanguard of you know as soon as things started to change that he was there and he wasn't afraid to tackle subjects like showing us condoms on television and you know all of that type of stuff.
2: No one will forget that banana.
3: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So you know I mean I don't think he he sometimes gets overly credited with, with changing Ireland. I don't think he did but I do think he illuminated a lot of that change that was happening. However the bigger but is and the reason why why he wouldn't get my vote, is that at times, and again, I know I'm singing to a theme here, um, but it, what stands out for me as one of the most uncomfortable uh, things I've ever seen on television was his interview with Annie Murphy.
1: Um, and uh, extraordinary. It wasn't I remember good. that that was it the interview good. where she famously walked she, off she, before she let, the ad break.
3: And he said that if her if, if her son, she was the woman with whom Bishop Casey uh, had uh, a son, and she was uh, an American, accomplished, intelligent uh, woman who uh, came onto the late late show to give her side of, of you know the story that everybody was talking about. But uh, he he ended the interview by saying something to the effect that if her son turned out to be half the man his father was. And she said, I'm not too bad myself, Mr. Byrne. And she got up and left. And it was an awful wow. moment. And it was quite a misogynistic moment. Yeah. And um, for that reason, I'm afraid I could would have to not vote uh, in in favour of Mr. Byrne as an all-time hero of the last hundred years. which I'm sure the audience will um, hate me. We
1: have very little time left in this section. But if I can come to you very briefly, Michael, um, uh, any feelings on, on Gay Byrne? Do you share Barbara's Uh, uh, somewhat ambivalent response
0: That was a bad moment for Gay no doubt about it and I remember it well but I put him in there I I think he had courage Uh, I don't think he set out to change Ireland by the way I think he set out to produce very very good programmes and he was a brilliant producer editor he he had his finger on the pulse of the Irish people Uh, a features editor in a very prominent newspaper in this city in the 1980s had a quote from Gay Byrne on his desk, uh, uh, stapled on his desk, the Irish are interested in sex, and sex, and more sex. <laughs> <laughs> and that features editor uh, 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 modelled, I think, his page for a while on Gabo. Uh, the, the person missing, of course, from all that, the person who shaped Gabo's Ireland, shaped the 1960s, and missing, unfortunately, is the great Sean Lemass. Yes, I was yep. just thinking of Sean
1: Lamas yep. when you mentioned Barbara that he was riding the crest of a huge wave he of was. change. He was wave of change. Lamass yes. uh, was, was the responsible, yeah. or the architect, for yep. for yep. for creating that wave in in many ways. Um, we could speak about Gay Byrne at length, I'm sure, but unfortunately, we have to go to an ad break.
0: Ireland's greatest hero
1: on News Talk. Ireland's
0: greatest hero on News Talk.
1: Welcome back to Ireland's greatest heroes here on News Talk, a special bank holiday programme with me, Simon Tierney, and my panel are still with me Michael O'Regan, Barbara Scully, pardon me, and Elaine O'Loughlin. Now, um, we were speaking about Gay Byrne just before the break, uh, who was number five on our list. We're counting down as the programme. Progresses through the top five as voted for by News Talk listeners. Number four on the list of Ireland's greatest heroes is Vicky Phelan. Now, Vicky is an interesting addition to the list because, of course, she became uh, she came to prominence much more recently than most of the figures on the list. Let me start with you, Barbara. Um, I really enjoyed. Uh, Vicky Phelan's memoir, um, which came out a couple of years ago, co-written with uh, Naomi Linehan, formerly of this parish. But when I read it, I got a sense that almost by taking the brave decision to allow people in to her personal story, that it was almost as if the nation imagined themselves in her position and were terrified by it. Well, I think what she threw light
3: on was something that would strike cold fear into the heart of any woman who, you know, methodically goes for your smear tests and gets results that say there is no detection of any uh, abnormal cells here and merrily carries along thinking you've done what you needed to do in order to protect your health. Um, And the scandal that Vicky um, uncovered and then was took the brave decision to share that. Um, I think she's an intelligent woman. She probably knew that that would, where that was going to lead and I think she would have very consciously and thoughtfully... She was thinking of the other women. She knew she wasn't the only woman who was affected by this scandal. It wasn't a one-off. There were, as it turned out, hundreds of other women who had suffered exactly the same fate of being given false... Um, um, uh, comfort from false smear test results um, so you know and I think certainly for women it, it is, you know, what happened to Vicky as I say is terrifying we've all had smear tests and you know there was that moment where you look back and think God maybe my, my results weren't right as well so she really did do an incredible job but she also shone a light on the fact that, I mean, and I think we're still kind of only dealing with this and recent conversations around menopause and women have shown this, that women aren't taken as seriously very often by the medical profession as they should be. Um, and then there's the the, the kind of, the, the, the um, linked thing of that a lot of science and medical science is tried out on male bodies and not on female bodies, which is equally terrifying. So, you know, it's all yeah. part of a much bigger thing. But I think... With Vicky, she was also somebody, she was really brave, really courageous really determined. She refused after her court case, which was finally settled with no admission of liability. She refused to sign an NDA so that other women would be made aware of what was going on. That was enormously uh, brave and, and and compassionate thing to do. And um, so she's quite a radical woman, I think. Um, mm. And I think she absolutely um, deserves her place. And I think along with all of that, the legal fight and the, the, all of the, the talking and campaigning that she did was the fact that she also... Put a huge amount of personal effort into research to find a drug that would give her extra years with her children, and went on this experimental drug, and then more recently went to the United States. And again, any parent, but any mother, will understand how you know important that is.
1: That's a really good point, Barbara. There's there's a pioneering element to her journey, which Mm -hmm. is sometimes overlooked. Yeah, Um, Elaine. I was going to ask you just in terms of the fact that people sometimes forget that through all this campaign for justice, Vicky was a lot of the time very, very unwell, mm. which makes her bravery all the more powerful.
2: Yeah. And actually, when I was asked to be part of this panel, I was kind of thinking, who would I pick? Who who are my top five? And Vicky was one of the first people who came to mind. And I think when you're talking about, you go back to the hundred years of great people in this country, you automatically sometimes think of the more historic figures because it's easy. They're in history books and they've almost received a sainthood already. She is a 3D, real life woman, still with us, still fighting. And she, you know, the, the word brave has been used a number of times here and it can be patronising sometimes or a bit cliched but she is and to be honest the one word that comes to mind when I think of Vicky feeling is strength she is such a strong character Um, and even beyond cervical check I think what she's done especially for the women of Ireland she has told us that it's okay to question things that if something goes wrong you shouldn't just accept it or if you have just a little niggle in the back of your mind even if it's in a work situation, it doesn't have to be about your health. It doesn't have to be a massive injustice, but you should always question it. Um, And I think in this country, especially women, we kind of go, okay, you know, authority says X, so I have to go along with it, even though I feel Y might be actually more accurate in this situation. And she's, you know, She's gone against doctor's advice in finding new medications, going to America. And I think she's a real inspiration. Again, it's a cliched uh, term, but she really would be on my personal heroes list. And and having met her very briefly, I think she will be one of the women who always sticks in my mind as just a real pillar of strength.
1: Wow, yeah, that's a a great testimony. Michael, I was going to ask you just more generally before we move on from Vicky, because Vicky is, without revealing too much, she is one of two women that made the the final five on this list of Ireland's greatest heroes. Um, One hopes that we've got to a stage, certainly it seems in the past 15 years, that... There is more of an appreciation among Irish people of the contribution of women to
0: the past hundred years of our national life. Absolutely. And of course, part of the problem was that those women who were active, uh, for instance, 1916, Nurse Cadden, uh, omitted from the photograph of Pearse's surrender. Uh, for instance, that's an example of how women were literally erased out of mm. history. Uh, the people in common them on, not remembered at all. In 1966, the 50th anniversary of the Rising. I mean, the Commonwealth weren't remembered, nor, by the way, on another level were the civilian casualties of 1916. But, uh, and then it was a misogynic, misogynic society. Uh, the Constitution alone relegated women to the kitchen. Uh, uh, yeah. De Valera, because of his own background, didn't want women in senior positions. He felt they should be at home. He'd been abandoned by his mother. So so we all had to suffer. Uh, but... And, and, <laughs> I was going to take that with me. Yeah. It, all it, it all goes back to Deb. Uh, yeah, yeah. It all goes back to
3: Dev. <laughs> uh, yeah, but unfortunately, yeah. it all goes back to Dev's <laughs> mammy. Yeah, yeah, yeah Deb's the mammy. The root cause as, a, as a, a woman. As a yeah. woman, a <laughs> friend of
0: mine said to me one time, why should we suffer? Because his mother abandoned him. You know, we didn't abandon him. Well, they did electorally almost, 1966. <laughs> Indeed, But... Uh, 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 so, from that point of view, uh, when you think about this, equal pay was only introduced in the early nineteen seventies. And by the way, the government in power at the time, Finnegay Labour, meant to be a radical, left-wing, partly left-wing government. They started to resist it on cost grounds, and Europe said, "No, you introduce equal pay." That was only the early nineteen seventies. Yeah.
1: Well, um, it's interesting now because. Uh, 46A doesn't come in ones, it comes in twos because where we're going next is another woman on our list at number three. Have a listen to this. As a woman, I want women who have felt themselves outside history to be written back into history. In the words of Ivan Boland, finding a voice where they have found a vision. Mary Robinson there, um... If we cast our minds back Barbara Scully to 1990 I remember it well sitting in front of the TV when uh, mr. Lenihan mr. Curry and miss mrs. Robinson were fighting it out for the presidency in that uh, in that year how big a deal was it? to have, for you personally, um, to have a woman leading the charge against those other two men and indeed then subsequently winning that election.
3: Well, I mean, I'm no expert, but from my hazy memory, and I was a struggling single parent in 1990 with not much of an eye on politics um, and a very large, um, not chip on my shoulder, but a very large awareness of misogyny that Michael talked about. And, uh, you know, if you were an unmarried mother, um, it wasn't really particularly cool in 1990. There was a lot of shaming and a lot of everything else like that. And in the early part of that presidential race, if my memory serves me right, Mary Robinson wasn't seen to be a real contender. It was like a shoe in for Brian Lenehan until he kind of shot himself in the foot. Um, so, but I do remember the inauguration, and I do remember watching the inauguration, and I do remember it without, you know, I, I I I I think I was probably watching it in passing rather than making a deliberate thing. This is historic. I need to watch it, um, and I remember her saying thanking Manon Aheron. It was the first time I had heard that Manon Aheron used, who she said, instead of rocking the cradle, rocked the system. Mm -hmm. And it was like one of those light bulb moments in my life when I suddenly thought, women can change things. Like if women get together, change can happen. And it did, it was an emotional and, and a really big moment that I thought, Maybe things can improve, and I think she was a spectacular president um, if, for Ireland. Even though I know she she kind of uh, bailed out a little bit early to take up her position um, in the UN. But I think also, so that it alone, I think would 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 it, it would 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 qualify her to be in this list. She was then a member of the Elders set up by Nelson Mandela, um, with you know working on on you know human rights and all that kind of stuff. But her work on climate change more recently and her take and her, you know, um, uh, I mean, she was on the Late Late Show a wee while ago and she only had a very short thing. But even in that short space of time, what she said was very clear and very unambiguous about how we have got to spend money now. And she talked about it being like like the moonshot. We have got to sort out what we are doing or our children and our grandchildren will have no future. And for me... She's an
1: exceptionally passionate... Communicator, She is,
3: yeah. But for me, she is, I mean, I've written a book, Simon, recently called Wise Up. <clears throat> Shameless plug. But she, you know, she pers- personifies the power and wisdom of older women now that she is an elder woman. And she is giving us in Ireland a warning. And too often you hear people say, you know, but what can we do when the rest of the world is all, not, you know, But everything everybody does counts. And I think she's a fantastic champion for climate justice. Um, Mm. So I think she actually should be further up the the line than where she is. I would have put her at number one in this poll.
1: Yeah, I I was going to ask you, Michael, just in terms of her assuming the presidency and then choosing not to go for re-election in 1997. Was there a, a, a kind of a, a backlash? Is too strong a word, but was there an element of resentment that she didn't decide to continue in the role instead of heading to New York?
0: I think there was an element of it, no doubt about it. I also think she made a mistake in leaving before her term was fully up. That that you know, uh, I I think that was an unintended disrespect to the office. Uh, but I'm I I remember that election in 1919. I covered it actually, and. Midway through the campaign, I remember being in South Kerry, uh, you know, in, in, in an area of South Kerry, which had a fairly strong Fianna Fáil following at that stage. And I heard people saying, you know, no, it's time for a change now. Uh, you know, we've had this sort of male figure from Fianna Fáil, you know, former minister, in, in this case, Brian Lenehan, uh, assuming the office as if it's their entitlement. But, and Ireland, Ireland, Simon, was changing at that stage, very slowly, it was very subtle, But Ireland was changing and was changing uh, quite significantly. The one thing I would say about Mary Robinson is this. Perhaps some of her best work was done as a senator in the 1960s when she faced appalling opposition from elements within the state and elements within the Catholic Church uh, when she uh, advocated uh, the availability of contraception Mm. as as a senator. Uh, Denounced from the altar in her native Balanáh, uh, you know, and here was this woman, a product of an upper middle class family in Ballina who could have, you know, gone. she went into academic life, could have taken it easy, made a lot of money, etc, etc, down on the courts. But she chose to be a social activist and she has often said in interviews, the hate mail that she got at that time. I mean mm-hmm. defies, Michael, I, I'm defies glad, description I'm
1: glad you brought up her early career um, as a senator and a lawyer in uh, the 60s and 70s because uh, not just her role in advocating for contraception and but other liberal causes yes. yep. like the decriminalisation of homosexuality yep. and, and other issues mm-hmm. like that Elaine she was an, well, sorry she is uh, an icon of liberal change mm-hmm. isn't she?
2: And all through her career, she was ahead of her time and continues to be ahead of her yes. time. And Barbara mentioned that Late Late Show appearance just this year where I would advise any listener who hasn't seen it to go back and listen to that two-minute clip because what she said really hit home to me. I remembered, and I, I just watched it ahead of this uh, last night and again, it, it had such a big impact. But as you said, in 1971, she tried to bring in the first bill to liberalised contraception. She then even as president went to the likes of Somalia and Rwanda when no one else was going after genocide and civil war. She met the Queen. Like there were so many firsts that she achieved during her career and continues to and she really is at the forefront of climate change now and is continuing on to fight for that New crisis, shall we say, uh, not so new, but it's it's new to a lot of people, unfortunately. Um, so I think she's someone who will be remembered for breaking ground on so many issues.
3: And I think the other point, which is uh, you know, comes back to what Michael was saying, especially in her early career, for a woman to put themselves out there like that and to fight for those kind of issues, they get even before social media, she would have suffered hugely, as Michael said, denounced from the altar, etc. Which means that the contribution of a woman like that was actually done in a completely different set of circumstances than the contribution of any man who wouldn't have suffered the same level of abuse that any woman, and in particular this woman, did.
1: That's really interesting you say that, Barbara, because there was so much written in the media at the time in 1990 about her physical transformation. Mm. Oh, look at... You know, uh, that's nothing new, is it? No, that's nothing new. And that goes on and
0: on P and Flynn. on You're here doing all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: But mm. women still get that. Any woman who appears on television uh, will be... Her, her her appearance will be commented on far more than what she actually says. That has to we have to go. But women and girls, we know that from the time we're very small, that we will be judged on how we present ourselves to the world. And then when you get older, you're, you've got the added thing of the sexist way that we're judged. And then you've got the ageism thrown in on top of it, that. We should all be fighting aging. And oh, look. Anyway.
2: And I think an important point: the way you introduced her as Mrs. Robinson, you know, that was even a battle that she was someone else's property almost. But yet she was vying to be the first. A citizen of yes. this country yes. um, even though she was deemed as someone's wife yeah. um, is interesting so it kind of shows the context of the time
1: um, She's not certainly not finished yet uh, Barbara she continues to be uh She's a, a voice. fierce advocate. Yeah, and she's a voice
3: I feel like I mean Elaine and I would agree with you people should go back and look at that clip of what she said. I think on climate change right now. I mean, you know, I was way down in Waterford the last few days but watching my local hill on fire like a few feet from houses um in suburban Dublin. Climate change is real and it's here and she is one of the best voices and I don't know why we don't hear more from her. On the media in Ireland on climate change specifically because she's very unambiguous in her message.
0: Ireland's greatest hero on News Talk. Ireland's greatest hero on News
1: Talk. Welcome back. You are listening to Ireland's Greatest Heroes here on News Talk. Simon Tierney with you until 2 p.m. today on this Bank Holiday Monday. My panel are still with me Elaine Lachlan, Michael O'Regan, and Barbara Scully. Now, we are down to the bread and butter of this, guys. This is our top two. So, in number two position, as voted for by our listeners here on News Talk over the past week of Ireland's Greatest Heroes, is John Hume. Let's cast our minds back to that iconic sound of a great leader, John Hume.
0: The city of Derry is the heart of the Irish problem, a place where Ireland's two traditions meet in strength. On the one hand, there's a Unionist and largely Protestant tradition, and for them, it's a place where their battle was fought. On the other, there's an Irish and largely Catholic tradition, and for them, it's the place where their battle is being fought.
1: Michael, let me come to you first. I suppose it's particularly poignant that John Hume features on this list after the passing of David Trimble last week. Their partnership is surely, or was surely, one of the most important of the past century
0: in Ireland. Absolutely. Uh, Without them, there would have been no Good Friday Agreement. Now, there were many others involved, you know, several others, but they were two pivotal figures. And uh, Hume, Hume remains the more substantial figure. I mean, David Tramble came to reconciliation and peace and all that. But in his early political career, you know, he had flirted with the vanguard movement, you know, with close links to loyalist paramilitaries, uh, helped to bring down the power-sharing executive in the early uh, 1970s. But he later became a man of reconciliation, very skillful politician. Hume was there from the very start, ploughing that lonely furrow of constitutional nationalism. House bombed by uh, loyalists, house bombed by the provost, attacked, you know, verbally, etc., uh, etc. Et but he stuck with it and he became a hugely influential figure in the United States. Uh, he, he was the man who briefed a very young and, and admittedly, he would admit himself, naive Senator Edward Kennedy uh, on the situation in Ireland. Uh, and Hume became Kennedy's late man in Ireland and he stuck with constitutional nationalism, right on to the time when he embarked on the Hume Adams talks, which of course eventually did in for the SLP. He knew that, uh, and Sinn Fein would gain from that. But that's a risk he was willing to it, take. It, it was an incredibly brave risk, and he was he was criticised, not least by influential writers in the Sunday Independent at the time. Now the Sunday Independent has later later expressed regret for that period in its history. Uh, but and by the way some abandoned as well by some politicians here in the Republic at that time, some senior politicians who were absolutely adamant that until there was a ceasefire, you should not talk to the provost. But he saw the value of the Hume Adams talks, and that paved the way for peace.
1: Yeah. Uh, Barbara, I think that's an important point, because I even remember I was obviously young at the time, but in the early 1990s, the idea of someone like John Hume reaching out and speaking to Sinn Fein was so taboo. Yeah, C- can you try and because it's 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 hard to appreciate that now mm. in twenty twenty two when we're on the cusp of what potentially could be a Sinn Fein government very soon. Can can you try and articulate how? much uh, of a big deal that was.
3: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the IRA were in the midst of, you know, appalling atrocities both in Northern Ireland and in and in uh, in the UK. Um, I, I mean, I think part of the issue around John Hume, because again, I think he's somebody that at the time we didn't really appreciate the kind of work that he was doing, certainly down here in the South, because I think we became immune to the violence that was daily. We became immune to the fact that you'd be watching TV and there would be a news flash and all key holders of a certain road would be told to go back to their premises because there was a bomb alert. Um, that just became normal. Northern Ireland, to somebody like me growing up in Dublin in the 70s and then as a young woman in the 80s, could have been like, you know, the moon. It was... It was miles away. I mean, even when I got married to my English husband in 1996, I remember him saying to me one day, we were thinking we'd go away for a weekend, and he was going, Why would we go up to Northern Ireland? And I was like, No.
1: Are you mad? Why would we go to Northern
3: Ireland? (laughs) And that that lasted well into, you know, I think I went to Belfast for the first time only about 10
1: years ago. Mm. So
3: there was that whole blocking it all off. It was the same when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, it
1: went on for so long.
3: And we couldn't, I think we couldn't really process what was happening because there was part of us that knew our history, knew how Ireland had gained independence, we had granddads who were in the the IRA, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly there was all this horror going on. And I think we blocked it off. And I think John Hume while he was doing the kind of work that, that Michael has talked about and while he was talking with Sinn Féin, we equally blocked that out. And I'm very glad that he's come out of the shadows now. And I think the other thing that kind of worked against him a little way, and I think it, it works in the opposite in the next person we're going to talk about, is that John Hume always looked like he fell out of bed in the suit yeah, that, yeah. you know, he was wearing yesterday. His suits were always crumpled. He always mm-hmm. looked as if he needed his hair brushed. And, you know, he just... He was a kind of a bumbling kind of man. He wouldn't have been a very articulate man either. He was... Um, he'd, you know, so, and I think was-
2: Barbara, he'd like you to be saying those words today because I know he was asked once what he would like to be remembered for. And he said he'd like to be remembered as the man from Derry who started the credit union. Yes. You know, he was a man. He was a man who was doing good for his yeah. local community, who happened to broker a peace deal which has transformed this yeah. island.
1: I love that you're both talking about this because it brings up an interesting idea about. What a hero looks like. Yeah, uh, you know, there's that that uh, that throwaway line that some heroes don't wear capes. Yeah, and John Hume very much embodied that, didn't he? Barbara? Yeah, he totally did. But uh, you know, he was very much embedded
3: in his community in Derry, and you know, I mean, his. I, I'm not sure because I, I wouldn't be uh, as involved in in politics as as my two colleagues here. Uh, but I mean, I think his first foray into into kind of the 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 issues of Northern Ireland came with the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. um, in Derry. So he, he, you know, and I think he had that rare gift that I wish more politicians had—that he could see the bigger picture. He could rise above the minutiae and see the bigger picture, which was how what informed his um, talking to Sinn Fein um, long before anybody else thought that it was appropriate to talk, because he knew there was something bigger to be gained even at the loss of his, for for his own party so you know yeah he definitely deserves his place there it's nice to see him
1: now released. elaine you mentioned there that he brought the credit union to to the island of ireland um Perhaps sometimes we forget about his earlier contributions Mm -hmm. because, like the credit union housing in Northern Ireland as well, these were massive contributions, bread and butter
2: issues that made a massive impact on the ground for people who were really struggling at the time. Um, And he was, you know, looking out, out for working class communities. But I think it goes back to what Barbara said as well. While he he would like probably to be remembered for that, his lasting legacy will be the peace. Uh, deal And the fact that, you know, we can easily travel on a great motorway now from Dublin to Belfast without thinking twice. And I remember as a child going across the border from Cavan into Enniskillen and you would be petrified in the car because you had to go off the road into the army post. They'd open the boot, they'd give it a rummage around, they'd have guns, like a child looking at a at a, at a soldier Asking their father, what's going on? What's the purpose of your journey? Now, we'd be let away probably only in a few minutes, but they seemed like hours in the back of a car. That's alien to, thankfully, a whole generation of people. And also you have these Good Friday Agreement babies, as they call them, the next generation, who thankfully in Northern Ireland as well, don't go to bed every night wondering, are the windows going to be blown in?
1: Who do we think, who do our listeners think uh, are the people that have made the most significant contributions to Irish life and to to this country that we live in? Number one is Michael Collins. Um, I'm going to start with you, Michael, because at the beginning of this programme, we talked about the honourable mentions, the long list of Ireland's greatest heroes, and someone who... Uh, was on that list, of course, was Eamon de Valera. Why is Michael Collins voted number one and de Valera isn't in the top five?
0: I think there's one basic reason for it in that Collins died young. <laughs> so the photographs, he's forever youthful. Handsome man, a bit like Joe, President Kennedy. Came here in 63, shot dead in November. Forever youthful. And of course, surrounding Collins, there's always been the what if had he lived. You know, mm. what would he's contribution have been to the new state. De Valera lived to uh, very old uh, to become a very old man. I think he was 90 or so when he left, when he re- retired as president. So Dev's career was there. Uh, I think the mistake Dev Valera made was he didn't leave the active political stage and go to Addison Oekthorne after the war instead of Sean T. O'Kelly. Uh, uh, he stayed around too long as Taoiseach. He presided There's a consensus now. He presided over economic and social decay in the 1950s. Uh, Kept Lamass back. Sean Lamass came in in 1959 when Dev went to the park. Uh, Lamass should have been in earlier. So from that point of view, there's a very clinical assessment of de Valera. Whereas Collins, all that promise, all that vigour, all that energy, Mm -hmm. manic energy apparently, uh, was lost to the new state because he was killed. Uh, The other thing about de Valera, of course, is de Valera himself, was very conscious that he would be eclipsed by Collins. He did say, in old age up in the Auris, he did say to one of his visitors, uh, he says, uh, Michael Collins' uh, reputation will grow in time and it will be at my expense. So he saw it coming himself.
1: Yeah. I want to pick up on a point that you made there, Michael, with you, Elaine, because there is often a view of de Valera nowadays, and indeed for, for quite a long time, that uh, despite his position as a giant of Irish political life, that he did in many ways preside over a sort of a social stasis in Ireland in the mid-century mm. uh, and and just before that, he didn't want any social change to occur. This idea of that we're all, you know, dancing at the crossroads and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. That image of Des persists, doesn't it?
2: It does, and it was in a time and an era where he perhaps let the church in. Government essentially, so he was asking for the church's permission to enact laws or enact legislation. I think that definitely has backfired in, on him in today's world. Um But certainly, when you're talking about Michael Collins, you know this romantic image of him being, you know, his life being cut short before his time, even where he died, Baily one of the most scenic places in Ireland. Like. It, for a Hollywood movie which has been made about him you couldn't pick a better place to die and even I think we'll touch upon the movie because I think that has done a lot of um, uh, done a service to Michael Collins
1: Well hold that thought now for a second because I think we have a clip in our arsenal let's cast our minds back this is I think almost or even more than 25 years ago this is uh, this is Liam Neeson rather as Michael Collins
0: They can jail us, they can shoot us, they can even conscript us, they can use us as cannon fodder in the Somme. But, but, we have a weapon more powerful than any in the whole arsenal of their British Empire. And that weapon is our refusal, our refusal to bow to any order but our own, any institution but our own.
1: Liam Neeson there as Michael Collins in Neil Jordan's 1996 movie. Mm. Elaine, I presume you've seen this movie. (laughs) I have
2: many times and every Christmas uh, since it came out. But look at Liam Neeson. When you get Liam Neeson to play your character, you're on to a winner. Like when you compare, Dev was played by Alan Rickman who went on to be Snape. Uh, So (laughs) he really didn't have a chance, did he? So I think in people's minds, maybe... When they think of Collins, maybe now they think of that Liam Neeson figure, that strong figure um, who was really portrayed as the best thing that ever happened Ireland in that movie. Um, And maybe that's why we do look at him as an iconic figure. But also his life was cut short and he didn't get a chance to maybe fall out of favour uh, amongst the public. But when you think of him, he was 31 when he died. He was chairman of the provisional government at that stage Leo Varadkar, who was the, the youngest appointed Taoiseach, was 38 when he was uh, made Taoiseach of the Country. So seven years uh, more senior to Michael Collins, who had done a hell of a lot in those 31 years. Yeah,
1: uh, good point. It's it's really inspiring that I, I only realised this last night when I was doing a little bit of research. I couldn't believe how young uh, Michael Collins was when he was assassinated as you say 32 years of age They grew age up Barbara. way
3: quicker back then when they didn't yeah. have to go to college and have a gap year and <laughs> but, go did it they grew there up much also, quicker there
0: was also the private life the uh, love affair yes, with Kitty yes. Kiernan Yeah Harry tell us Baldwin about at that at one stage had been in love Because this
1: life. is of course chronicled in the movie as well Yeah
0: it is yeah and actually Kitty Kiernan's son Michael Cron was a very good friend of mine he died there not till uh, about a year or so ago uh, he was at the great age of 91 Kitty Kiernan went on to marry uh, an Irish army officer called Felix Cronin. And so the, this was after the
1: assassination, after the assassination of Collins, assassination. obviously. Yeah. She,
0: she went on and she, she yeah. married. Okay. That's it. She was engaged, actually, to, to Collins. And I think a date was set for the wedding. And she never got over Collins' death. And of course, uh, Collins haunted the marriage. And the marriage was, Michael would have told you, the marriage was not a success. And in fact, Michael spoke much more warmly about his father than his mother. Look, that's a fact. Uh, she, she, uh, she wasn't quite the heroic figure, actually, that she's portrayed to be today. Now she lost her boyfriend at the time. But uh, uh, she lived in the past a lot. And she di- unfortunately, uh, she died a young woman. But I think that the love affair with, with Kitty Kiernan uh, also added to the glamour. Surrounding this man, dressed in a uniform, we see the photographs now, dressed in a uniform. A very handsome man. Very man. handsome man. Very articulate man. Very distinct Cork accent. Um, warned that they don't go near Ballynabla; they're out to get you. And Collins, of course, said wrongly but famously, "They won't shoot me in my own county," which they did. And of course, the origins of that bullet has given rise to speculation for decades.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, before we finish, um, I. Let's recap first of all. So, Michael Collins has been voted number one on News Talk's list of Ireland's greatest heroes, as voted for by our listeners. Um, number two was John Hume. Number three was Mary Robinson. Uh, number four was Vicky Phelan. And number five was Gay Byrne. Barbara, um, are you happy with News Talk listeners' decision to make uh, Michael Collins number one? And if you're not, who would you have as your number one? OK. Um, I would have put Mary Robinson probably at
3: number one. Uh, but there's another woman that I think, and again, it's like, you know, the figures that have been left out and, and Michael mentioned uh, others earlier, and that is Kathleen Lynn who again was was one of the women involved in the 1916 mm. Rising, was a member of Cumannemann and set up a hospital for uh, poverty-stricken women and, and their babies in Dublin and uh, did that right up until into her 80s. Again, did... Some amazing
1: service to this uh, to this country. Um, okay, important to mention. Yeah, um, Elaine. Uh, what, same question for you. Are you happy with News Talk listeners number one? And if not, who would you have chosen as number one?
2: Yeah, I think it's a really strong top five. I think you could shuffle them all around, and and any of the top five really, uh, you could argue. You know, it's a toss up between them.
1: Uh, finally, Michael, um, are you happy with News Talk listeners' top five? And if not, who would you have chosen as
0: your number one? Look, I, I mean, it's an impressive list, but I have to say this. If I was to be asked for a number one, I would put Sean Lamass number one, simply because he molded the kind of society where others, like, other, like Gay Byrne, Mary Robinson, and others, uh, built on. But Lamas moulded it. And so I'd reason uh, recently to look at some of his early speeches as Taoiseach. And he was adamant that he wasn't going to beat a pseudo nationalist drum. He said the historic um, challenge facing the next generation, our current generation, he said, actually, of people now, he said, is to build, is to secure our economic freedom. Now, he said this at a time when uh, immigration from this country was rampant. You know, 400,000 left between 51 and 61. Lamas came in in 59 and helped uh, stop this or at least uh, diminish. This it's almost like he jumped on, him- the, on the sinking ship. He, in absolutely, a way. absolutely. So I put him in there and there's another name I would put in there as well. Sorry, guys, male again. Ah, but, but, oh, Michael. <laughs> Michael, seriously. Where's but, your gender equality yeah. gone? <laughs> I would have Mary Robinson up there very high, right. but I would put in Dunnock O'Malley, Minister of yes, Education, yes, introduced yes. for Actually, education yes. in 1966. At a time, by the way, when this is an astonishing statistic. And the way he uh, did it. And the way he did it. The sheer bravery. Yeah. By the way, aided and abetted by Sean Lamass, who pretended he didn't know what was happening. But Lamass was in on it. Uh, and... At a time, by the way, when this is an astonishing figure and an indictment of Ireland at the time, 1966, one in three children was finishing education at primary level. Wow! It's extraordinary. That
3: was transformative. That that, that move. That one that move was transformative. It is, and yeah, I should
0: yeah. say that he he
1: was voted for uh, several times, many times. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so he, he just he, not enough. He's there just, just there. not enough <laughs> times, but, but I, I want, but I want our listeners yeah, yeah, to know yeah. that he was yeah, certainly yeah, considered, yeah. Um, and very interesting that you bring Sean Lemass up, yeah. uh, a figure, a giant of 20th giant, century yeah. politics in Ireland, but someone who came up a couple of times during our conversation yeah. in different contexts. Mm. This afternoon. That's all we have time for on this special News Talk programme Ireland's Greatest Heroes. My thanks to my panel for for your fantastic contributions and, and a really lively and interesting discussion. Elaine Lachlan Uh, from the Irish examiner Barbara Scully um, author of uh, Wise Up Availability since All Good Bookshops thank you absolutely All Good Bookshops uh, broadcaster and commentator and uh, Michael O'Regan journalist thank you also to my producer John Casey The Best of Moncrief is next I'm Simon Tierney I'm going to end on a song one of uh, the iconic song from the catalogue what better way to end than this thank you for listening
3: born before the wind
1: also oh, so younger than the sun and The bonny boat was one as we sail into the mystic Oh, I can now hear the sailors cry smell the sea and feel the sky let your
3: soul and spirit fly into the mistake and where that foghorn horn blows I will be coming home
2: Yeah, when the Falcon blows, I
1: wanna hear it. I don't have the fear in and I wanna rock your gypsy
3: soul, just like way back in the day, the old, yeah, magnificently
1: we will fold until the. Best
3: You know I will be coming home. Yeah, when that foghorn was so close I gotta hear it. I don't have to fear it at
1: all. I rock on Jepsie's soul. Just like way back in the day, though. And together we will. Stay